welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. It doesn't come as everybody does. It comes as real people experience the transforming grace of God and begin right where they live and work and make their life to rebuild what's broken. This grand plan to rebuild a broken world is what's called in the Bible the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is shaped by the admission that this world is made up of other kingdoms, Kingdoms that are ruled by power and violence, often oppression and greed. The kingdom uh, ultimately behind them being the kingdom of sin and evil. But that coming into the world is the kingdom of God, where every other kingdom will bow and every broken thing will be made straight and righteousness and justice will come to have the last word. Crucial to that kingdom of God was the city of Jerusalem. It was meant to be the epicenter, the capital city of the the kingdom of God. There God installed his king. There he had his temple where people could worship him and dwell with him. Essentially, the vision is that the kingdom of God radiates out from Jerusalem so that ultimately it encompasses the entire world and what's true of Jerusalem becomes true of the world, that all people can meet with God. And so if you were to ask Nehemiah's contemporaries, this crew of builders, what they were doing, they likely would have said as they're rebuilding the wall that they are building the kingdom of God. That in their time and in their place, they're doing their part to build God's kingdom. And friends, this is the very thing that Jesus calls us to. When Jesus appears, he announces that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is, he says, among you. He calls us to seek first the kingdom of God, which means in our time and in our place to go about building his kingdom, ushering in his reign in the world. Building the new Jerusalem, which we're told is the church, right? The new center of the kingdom of God in the world. And so we want to look at how we do that. We're going to look really at three simple questions. Who does the building? Where do we build? And what do we build when we seek to build the kingdom of God? First, who does the building? Well, the simple answer uh, in the message of this passage is everybody. Everybody does the building. That if you are a part of God's people by grace, you are called to be a part of his building project. Right? Uh, You know, for some projects, you only need a few people to participate. Right? If uh, If you're moving houses or moving apartments, you might call a few friends over with a truck, and you just need a handful of people to help you. For some projects, you only need an expert to help. You don't need just anybody, right? If somebody's having a medical emergency on an airplane, what do they say? They say, is, is there a doctor on board? They don't say, is anyone willing to try their hand at surgery? Um, is anybody, uh, will, will somebody quickly Google uh, a tracheotomy? No, they say, is anybody a specialist? Is anybody a doctor on board? And then there's other projects that don't require a few. They don't require specialists but they are an all-hands-on-deck kind of project, right? One of the best examples of this from our own history is World War II in the Western world. 
right? It was a war that was fought not just by the soldiers on the front lines, but literally everyone. Everyone in the allied countries had a part to play, whether you were rationing stuff at home, whether you were, uh, your job changed domestically to support the troops, or you were one of the young men or women that went uh, overseas. It was an all-hands-on-deck, all-people kind of project. And we're told here in Nehemiah 3 that the kingdom of God, the building of the kingdom, is one of those all-hands-on-deck kind of processes and kind of projects. It is easy to skip over it because it's just a list of names. But it's meant to function uh, for the people of God, much like a memorial, where for generations after these people, their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would look at Nehemiah 3 and and scan the pages and see the names of their relatives, their great-grandfather, their grandmother, and say, in their time, my ancestors did their part to build the kingdom, to answer God's calling. It's a list, uh, likely was not lost on you, it was not lost on me. It is a list of funny-sounding names, right? The kingdom of God is a kingdom of funny-sounding names, right? It's a name full, it's it's a list. These are Hebrew names, but it's also made up of African names and Chinese names, uh, South American names and English names. In the kingdom of God, eternally, Dave from Jacksonville, is every bit as strange as Eliashib from Jerusalem, even more so. There will be, all, you know, it's all of our names are woven into this tapestry. All of the funny-sounding names, our ancestors, our places, woven together to make the story of this global kingdom. One thing that we want to see is that it's made up of very ordinary people. It lists several uh, professions of the people involved in this building project. And you'll notice that not one of the people listed is given the profession of wall builder, right? There's never given uh, the list of, you know, Bob the Mason went about building the wall. No, it's, it's priests and other church workers. There's perfumers. There's, uh, there's goldsmiths, right? This is a wall building project by amateurs. This is people serving uh, not in their area of giftedness or expertise, This is that all-hands-on-deck kind of project. And the kingdom of God does go go forward by amateurs, right? The kingdom of God, the the process of building the church in the world and witnessing uh, to our neighbors and seeking their well-being in Christ. That mission isn't just for pastors and priests. It's not just for people with seminary degrees. It is for the whole people of God working on it together. It is so because building the kingdom of Jesus is a matter of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. Look at what we see in verse 5. We're introduced to a group of people, the Tekoites, uh, who did some of the repairing work. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Uh, the literal Hebrew expression there means, it says they would not bend their necks to serve the Lord. That they were, they were unwilling, the nobles, the, the people of prestige and prominence in Tekoa, were unwilling to humble themselves and to do the ordinary, thankless work of building the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe they thought, hey, we're, we're nobles, right? We don't build walls. We, we have a guy, right? We pay somebody to build our walls. 
But it was interpreted here as an unwillingness to take the humble posture of service before their Lord. And notice, they don't, uh, the, the author doesn't say they were unwilling to humble themselves and serve Nehemiah. But they interpret disobedience to Nehemiah's command as prideful disobedience to the Lord. Right? That's because in this situation, at this moment in time, Nehemiah was God's chosen servant to lead his people. That to, to align yourself behind God's project in the world was to follow Nehemiah. Now, no other, in our day and age, no Christian pastor can claim that, right? I cannot, I cannot tell you that if you don't obey me, you're disobeying uh, the Lord, no matter how much at times I may want to, right? That's, that, that's manipulative, it's wrong, you shouldn't do that. But there is one that we are to treat like Nehemiah, to treat as though his program, his plan is the Lord's plan, and that's Jesus, right? Jesus... Uh, to, to follow Jesus, to participate and have life in Christ, means to adopt Christ's agenda for the world. Right? We can't say, Lord, I want your salvation, I want your grace, I want your forgiveness, but I'm not willing to serve you in your project of making a broken world whole. I'm not willing to serve the poor, I'm not willing to love my neighbor, I'm not willing to engage um, with your project in the world, I'm not willing to serve your church. Right? To, we can't choose Jesus but not his mission. Because to do so is to divorce the king from the kingdom. To divorce the Lord from his plan in the world. In fact, Jesus told us to seek first his kingdom. To trust him to deal with the other parts of our lives, the other elements and things that we believe we need in our lives. Our own well-being. And to align our hearts behind his kingdom. To seek the growth and health of his church. To seek the inclusion of our neighbors in that kingdom. And so building the city of God uh, is an all-hands-on-deck project because Jesus enlists all of his people to his mission, and he tells us that it is not optional. So that's who does the building. Where do we build? I love the way that this, uh, this chapter portrays the building project because it shows us that the kingdom of God is built block by block, inch by inch, little bit by little bit. Nehemiah doesn't just send people out and say, y'all go build a wall. No, he says, you start here. You build from this gate to this gate. You build from this block to this block. And so uh, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, each one focusing on the, the little bit right in front of them, they do something incredibly big, bigger than any one of them could have done by themselves. In the kingdom of God, when we think of... You know, our mission statement as a church is to seek the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Right? To seek the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. But if you just say, all right, I'm going to go out. What am I going to do on Monday? I'm going to seek the renewal of all things. All of them, everywhere. In Jesus. You'd have that paralysis that comes from not knowing what to do or what am I supposed to be giving my time to. And so Nehemiah wisely focuses people's attention on that little, that little block of the kingdom of God right in front of them. It's interesting that for many of them, he assigns to them the task of building the wall immediately opposite their house, right? This is, this is I think, wise leadership, uh, but it's also, it shows us how the kingdom of God is built. 
right? We, there is a natural and good desire to seek the well-being of your neighborhood, right? If, you, if you're building a wall, which remember was a, a defense against invading armies, you would have a vested interest in making sure that the part across from your block was not the weak link in the wall, right? You wouldn't want an, an army seeking to find the easiest way into the city to pinpoint your block as the place that they should attack first. And so when Nehemiah sets these people to building, as he says, opposite their house, there would be a natural investment to wanting to make sure that the wall is strong and tall and good, where you raise your family and run your business and do your work. In the same way, there is a natural God-given desire in us to want to see the flourishing of our particular neighbors in our particular neighborhood, our particular city. Right, it's easy uh, to, it's hard to imagine the renewal of all things, but we're not called necessarily to, to restore all things. We're called to play our part in Jacksonville, Florida in 2019 and to desire to see our city grow and flourish and thrive. But even that can seem too big. So we focus on our particular neighborhood, the place where we live, the place where we work the people that we, that we play with, the people that we enjoy our hobbies with. We focus on the immediate, what's right around us for building the kingdom of God, desiring to see them built up and flourishing in Christ, to see them able to hear uh, the good news of the gospel from somebody they know and trust and can understand, to see them served by somebody who loves them, that lives in proximity to them. That's the reason that our church, not only our church, but our, our, our network of churches uh, made up together with Christ Church East and Christ Church Mandarin, a desire to plant more churches in the city of Jacksonville, believing that the more people that have uh, gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches in their neighborhoods, their blocks, close to them, uh, the better off our city will be as we seek to build the kingdom block by block, inch by inch. It's interesting also that, that while many of the people are building immediately across from their wall, other people come in from outside villages to help build the wall, right? Because I think these are people, there's two reasons for this. One, uh, in a time of crisis, in a time of invasion, the people from the surrounding villages would go to the capital. They would all run to try to get within the walls of Jerusalem in much the same way that the church is built to be a shelter and a hiding place and a safe place uh, for people uh, in the suffering of this world. But also they identified that, there, that what God was doing in their time was rebuilding Jerusalem. And they wanted to be a part of that. That it took more resources, more labor, more people than they had just within Jerusalem. And so we're told that people, like these people from Tekoa, came from neighboring towns and villages to help to build the wall. And so while every Christian is called to a block-by-block -block building of the kingdom where they live, work, and play, there are those of us who have a special vocation to go to different places and to serve in special ways places that are under-resourced, right? We see that when people, when, when people travel outside the country to go serve in a community that doesn't have an indigenously planted church, that people will go from other countries to establish churches in those places. We see it in a city like Jacksonville where you have some neighborhoods that are under-resourced and some that are over-resourced. A desire to channel our resources and our labor and our lives, sometimes to places outside of where we, where we naturally work and do our lives in order to serve and build up uh, those places where we may not live. 
but all together, inch by inch, block by block, building the kingdom of God. Can we say together as a church uh, that we feel a heart-deep sense of conviction that we desire to see Jacksonville flourish in the gospel in our lifetime? You know, John Knox, the great uh, Presbyterian hero, founder of uh, the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, had a mantra that became famous. He prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Right? He would rather die than see Scotland perish apart from the gospel. A friend of mine, Tim Rice, uh, began, he planted a church in Lakeland about 20 years ago. And he just said to God, he was there doing college ministry in Lakeland at a small school. And he said, God, I am going to give my life to planting churches in Lakeland. And they've now planted over the course of, 20, of about 20 years seven or eight churches in Lakeland of all places, right? Lakeland makes Jacksonville look like Manhattan. Um, I mean, you look at, look at Lakeland and you go, man, how are you, you going to plant eight churches there? But block by block, inch by inch, they've taken a, a, a small, unsexy community and given themselves to it. They've, they've seen guys, uh, you know, coming out of seminary when asked, where do you want to go live? Go, oh, you know, not San Francisco, not New York City, not one of those big cities. We want to go join our lives to this project of working with like-minded uh, brothers and sisters to reach that city. What would, what would happen if we said to God, Lord, in our lifetime, we want to move the needle in Jacksonville. We want to see Jacksonville a little less dark and a little more light. We want to see a little more reconciliation between estranged peoples in Jacksonville. We want to see more reconciliation between God and the people of Jacksonville. We want to see more of the children of Jacksonville able to grow and thrive and mature uh, in, in homes where they're nurtured in Christ, in churches where they're discipled in Christ. We want to see the poor lifted up in Jacksonville uh, to where they're able to prosper and work and save and live and, and, and have the life they aspire to. What could we see? I tend to be an impatient person. Uh, I tend to uh, want to believe I can see a lot in the next one to two years but fail to live and think about what would happen over 30 years of ministering the gospel, of planting churches, of hosting people. What could, what could we see happen in our city over time? So that's who does the building. That's where we build. But what do we build? I think we've said already uh, that the parallel in the scriptures between Jerusalem is the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, the church. That if you want to know that you're contributing your life uh, to something that ultimately matters, to something that will not uh, go away in time, give your life uh, to building the church in both its depth and its breadth, to see, it, to see it deepened, to see it planted, to see it expanded. Jesus told us uh, in his word uh, that the kingdom of God that through his church will prevail. He says even the gates of hell uh, will not uh, overcome the church. That while governments and nations rise and fall over the millennia, the church will be built and established, and he will gather his people. And so we're to, to spend our lives working, not only in our vocations, wherever he's placed us, but also building up uh, the people of God in the church. And it's interesting, the picture that we get here of what it means to build the church. You'll notice that there's really two things that these people are building. They're building walls and they're building gates. They're building walls 
and they're building gates. There's this, there's this refrain that happens over and over again when it comes uh, to the gates. It says, they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And then they went on and built the next section of wall and then the next gate. You know, largely the identity of the church uh, is, is made up uh, by issues around walls and gates. Where do we build walls and how do we build gates? Right, a church that's all walls and no gates uh, is an island of self-righteous exclusion. Right, if your focus is more on building walls for who you're trying to keep out uh, than it is on building gates for who you hope to gather into the people of God, uh, you have a faulty church. But if your church has no walls, Uh, then it becomes indistinguishable from the countryside around it. It becomes indistinguishable from what's around it. And so in Nehemiah's time, as in ours, one of the things that's important for the church is to know how do we build walls and what do they function to do? And how do we build gates and how do we make sure that they're broad and wide and inclusive? Right, walls, uh, properly speaking, are one one of the main concerns of Nehemiah. It's not just the building of physical walls, but also one of the things that happens under Nehemiah is that he's clear to want the people of Israel to maintain their identity as the people of God in reference to their neighbors, right? All of their neighbors are welcomed in. All of their, in fact, central to the biblical vision is the neighbors of Israel coming in to worship the true God. But it was important for them that they maintain their identity as God's covenant people. That we want our, you know, for them, we, they wanted their Baal-worshipping neighbors to come into the, into the city, into the temple, but not to worship Baal there, right? To come and to name their God as the God and to find the grace that they had found in God. The walls of the people of God, the walls of the church are never about keeping people out. It's often, uh, it's often viewed that way, right? That, that, that in, especially in our day and age were to have any kind of boundaries or to have any kinds of, of structural uh, beliefs as a church that you stand or fall on is viewed as exclusionary. But the walls aren't made to keep people out. The walls are to make sure that the church that preserves is recognizable as the church. They're the boundaries that are usually charted out. Irenaeus called it the, the rule of faith in the second century. It's largely defined by the apostles in Nicene Creed. Right, that the church to be the church over time needs to continue to believe the faith handed down to us by the apostles and by their disciples and their disciples and their disciples. That for the church to be a credible witness in our world means to speak with the voice of the historic Christian faith. Right, it's to speak uh, in a world uh, that often is losing its way, trying to sort out how to live their lives and how, what to make of our lives. The church is built to be a shelter, to be a place of sanity in a world of confusion, to be a place of protection in a world of harm. And in order for it to be that, it needs certain things that feel wall-like. It needs leaders, right? It needs pastors that are trained. It needs needs elders and deacons and deaconesses to lead and to serve. It needs to know what it believes, right? It needs to have a creed that it clings to as its hope. The church uh, inevitably does uh, need walls because we're called to be a distinct community for the community. Uh, One of my favorite ways of describing um, the way the church is to be in the world is that it's to be a counterculture for the culture. 
but it's made to be uh, marked by a different type of grace and love and truth so that it might be a, a beacon of love and grace and truth for the world and for our neighbors uh, as it has been for us. Jesus describes the church uh, as a tree that starts as a mustard seed and grows into a tree that can provide shelter for the birds, right? a place where all men and women can find life uh, in its unique Place. I think that's one of the reasons why stories of sin and abuse in the church are particularly heartbreaking, right? Because what was made to be a safe place, a shelter from the chaos of this world, because of our own sin, because of our own weakness, inevitably deals with so much of the same sin and same struggle in the world. And that's why our hope isn't ultimately in our differentness and our goodness and our righteousness, but in the fact that God, Jesus promised to preserve his church. But though the church has boundaries, it has walls, uh, what stands out most from this reading is how many gates it has, right? It, it is, it's fairly stunning given the number of enemies that the city of Jerusalem had in Nehemiah's day, the number of enemies that it has in our day, that God planned and placed as many gates into the city as he did. It almost seems like a list of gate after gate after gate after gate, that if you're actually trying to keep the bad people out, Maybe you just do one gate, right? Maybe you make them go the long way around to get in, right? Why, why dozens of gates into the city? Because absolutely core to God's vision for the church is that it would be a welcoming house of worship and a city that's a shelter for all people. Look at the vision of the gates of Jerusalem in Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's Jerusalem, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. So this is a, this is a vision. Jerusalem is, it's a hill. It's not, you know, this isn't Mount Everest, but in his vision, it's now the chief of the hills. It's the highest place in all the earth. It's lifted up and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The gates are wide and broad. They are broad enough to, to welcome in every sinner that's living in the world. They're wide enough to welcome in all the peoples of the earth, every language of the earth. These are wide, broad gates. They start, uh, uh, instructively, it starts with the high priest building the sheep gate. If you notice the, the way that it talks, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 starts with Eliashib, the high priest. Uh, that's the one who presided in the temple over the sacrifices and, and the worship life of Israel. Starts at what's called the sheep gate, which we'll talk about. They build all the way around the city, and then it concludes back at the Sheep Gate. What is the Sheep Gate? The Sheep Gate is the place, the, the central gate of Jerusalem, where the high priests and the other priests would lead, lead in the sheep who were coming in to be led into the temple to be slaughtered uh, as sacrifices before God. The Sheep Gate uh, was central to that, that line of bringing the sheep in from the countryside, 
leading him through this gate, which many sheep entered, but none ever walked out of, walking down the streets of Jerusalem into the temple, where they would be slaughtered, where their blood would be sprinkled on the altar to make atonement for the sins of the people. That was the core activity of Jerusalem, was to make offering to God so that men, women, and children could be made right by God through the blood of sacrifice. And so when the construction starts by the high priest at the sheep gate, works its way around, and finishes there, This is not only Eliashib, one of the the chief leaders of the people, saying, I too am on board with this project, with Nehemiah's project of building. But it was also their way of saying, we are building our city around this temple with grace at its center, with mercy at its very center, to be a place where all people could come under the blood of these sacrifices to be a place where all people could come into the worship of God by the blood of the covenant. What does Jesus say to us in John chapter 10? He says, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the sheep gate. All who come to me will come in and go out and find pasture. Right? Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem as a sheep to be slaughtered is one to give his life uh, on the altar of God's righteousness so that many nations would be sprinkled by the blood of the covenant, so that you and I would know uh, that we belong among God's people and with our God, that we are forgiven, that we are marked as his own people, our sin taken away, so that we could be the kind of sheep who can not only go in, as many sheep did into the sheep gate, but also go out. Who could go into the presence of God without losing our lives, without without being struck down by his holiness. Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has given his life for us. Jesus himself is the gate of the sheep. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the way that we come in to know our God and to dwell with him. And he is the hope of all people. Everything that we build, all of the human elements of building a church, whether it's uh, raising up leaders, whether it's teaching theology and maintaining you know, uh, good, truthful doctrine, whether it's serving in the nursery, whether it's teaching the youth, whether it's setting up chairs on a Sunday morning, every bit of it is made to lead people to the sheep gate, to lead people to the broad, welcoming gate that is Jesus himself, through which they can be embraced in the same way that we have been embraced by our Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's so easy in the work of planting a church and building a church to be focused on so many things. There's always need for volunteers, and there's always a tendency to focus on attendance and giving and all of those things, which are are important. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Uh, the Lamb of God, given to take away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray that we would be known as people who dwell with you, who make our life with you in your kingdom, and that we would leverage our lives, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our abilities, towards gathering your people in uh, through the sheep gate, 
through the one who's opened a way for men, women, and children to come into the presence of the Father. Lord, we pray that this church would be a shelter uh, for people uh, beaten and bloodied by sin. Lord, we pray that we here uh, would flourish under your care, under your guidance, under your protection. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would build us up, uh, help us to find our life in you, Jesus, who is for us the way, the truth, and the life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.